Like Josh said, my name is Adam, and uh, I will be talking about the final letter in our uh, Revelation series tonight, so I'm excited about it. A little nervous, of course, but that's, uh, that's to be expected. Um, so the, the final letter that we're going to be going through tonight is the, the church in Laodicea. Uh, it's a very tough word to say, and I'm excited I've got it down now. It took me a while. I would say like Laodicea. And a number of other ways, that, but it was tough, but uh, uh, we battled through it. Uh, tonight's letter is going to be, uh, it's filled with some tough words. Uh, it's the only letter that has nothing positive to say uh, about the church in Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea so, uh, but although it's, it's tough, uh, it's filled with goodness and a lot of life-giving words as well. Um, so... Uh, as, as, as y'all have seen with the, the previous six letters, the, the layouts can be very similar as far as how it's structured, but Jesus is very specific um, to each church individually because he is, he, is he is very involved with them. So let's go ahead and open up to Revelation 3, four, uh, and we're going to go through 14 through 22. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there, and if not, no big deal, we'll have it on the PowerPoint. Revelation three fourteen through 22, and I'll go ahead and read that. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Or cold nor hot. Uh, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father in, in, on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit t- says to the churches. All right. So we'll go ahead and start off with who. So who's, who's writing this letter? Who's, uh, and like every week, it is, this is Jesus. This is uh, Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea. Uh, you see in verse 14 it says the the words of the amen, uh, that basically meaning that which is true. So Jesus is talking about himself. So who's writing this? Jesus is, these are Jesus' words. Um, who's the letter to? Like I've said a number of times, the, the church in Laodicea. I've got it down on how to say it, so I'm, I'm excited about that. So you'll hear me say it a lot. Uh, so let's give some historical context to Laodicea. It's very important to, to understand the historical aspect of it because it really makes these words come to life and make sense. So Laodicea was a very, very wealthy city. It was an important center of trade and communication, as well as banking and finance. Uh, it was, in fact, so wealthy. I know, I think a few of the guys have mentioned in the previous letters that there was a, 
a couple massive earthquakes back then, one in 17 AD and then another one in 60 AD. Uh, they were so wealthy that both times the, the earth, earthquake completely demolished the city, destroyed the city. But the second one in, in 60 AD, they refused any imperial help. Caesar said, look, I want to offer you help. Uh, and they declined it. They said, look, we, uh, they took a lot of pride in being independent. So they said, we're, we're going to rebuild the city ourselves. We don't need any of your help. Um, so just a, a lot, a lot of money, a lot, a lot of wealth. Uh, as far as where their wealth came from, they had a, a big clothing industry, uh, a big garment industry. Uh, I think, was it Jake that talked about the black wool? Um, they manufactured this black wool there that was used to make very expensive clothes. And that provided jobs to a, a vast majority of the population. So uh, that's where a lot of their wealth came, came from, was from the clothing industry. So that was something that they were known for. Uh, another thing that they were known for was they had a famous school of medicine. Uh, that school of medicine was closely tied to Asclepius, uh, which is a god of healing, or quote-unquote god of healing. Um, and I guess on a little side note, they also, uh, the worship of Zeus was very prominent there. Um, so they had a famous school of medicine, and the reason why it became so famous worldwide is they developed an eye ointment that was very effective in, in, in healing eye defects. And so that, uh, that basically spread worldwide and um, put them on the map, I guess, uh, medically. Uh, so, uh, so that's, those are two things that they were, they were known for. Um, so although they were very healthy, had a, had a famous school of medicine, um, they had a very, very poor water supply. They were one of the only cities there that had to re rely on an external water supply from another city. So even though through all their wealth, uh, their, their water supply was very poor. And so I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit, uh, because it'll, it'll make a lot more sense in a little bit. So the last thing I'll hit on as far as the historical context is that Laodicea was a place of very little persecution. Uh, I know Adam's letter last week in Philadelphia, it, it talked about uh, there's a strong, Jew, uh, a strong hostile Jewish presence that, uh, that where there's a lot of persecution on their end. Um, Laodicea had a Jewish presence, uh, but the gospel that they were preaching was of no threat to the Jews. It was a very watered-down version of the gospel that basically wasn't effective, and that was of no threat. So very little uh, persecution from hostile Jews, uh, as well as no, no real persecution from Gentiles, and they didn't have any false prophets that were mentioned. Um, so if you look at it, it was a very wealthy city, um, and they kind of had it easy as far as persecution goes, no real persecution. So that's, that's who the letter's to, and that's a little bit of, uh, about the background of the church. So let's, let's move on to the next uh, way that the, the, a lot of these layers are laid out is Jesus' evaluation of the church. Like I said at the beginning, the, this evaluation uh, only has rebuke. There's zero praise. I know the church of Sardis that Josh preached on a couple weeks ago is pretty much the same, but it, uh, Jesus mentioned a few of the a few faithful. Well, there is no mention of even a few faithful within this church, so it's pretty tough. So let's let's go to the evaluation. Look at verses 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either hot or cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. All right, so he, it, Jesus is say, uh, usually starts off like he does with a lot of letters. He says, I know your works, but then he doesn't mention any. And so Jesus is saying, look, I know your works. You basically have none. And even if there were works, they weren't worth mentioning because they were, in essence, they were useless. They were meaningless. Uh, so, some, uh, so a tough way to start off a letter, uh, start off a letter. Um, so he's saying, I know your works. And he's saying, I w you are neither hot nor cold. And he says, I wish you were either hot or cold, or would that you were either hot or cold. 
Uh, what I'm going to talk about right now, or our next little point, uh, are two ways I kind of, I've, I've heard this taught, and I think a lot of us have heard this taught, that are, that are incorrect, especially whenever you look at the context of, uh, of, of where Jesus is going. So uh, the first way I heard this taught is I wish that you were either hot or cold, is that I wish you were either all in or completely out. And I, I think whenever we look at the character of Jesus, that's, that's not what he's talking about right here. He's not saying, look, there's no room for any in between. I want you all in or all out. That's not what, what he's saying right here. The second way that I've heard this before, which is even, I guess, in my opinion, even more false, is that I wish you were saved or I wish you were unsaved. Um, you know, we look back at, in 1 Timothy 2, where it says that God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. We know that's not true, that God doesn't, doesn't desire for people not to be saved. So uh, I think it's important that, you know, th- those, those ways I heard it taught, it always kind of rubbed me wrong. Like, wh- like, what do you mean? Like, if I'm either all in or he wants me completely out of Christianity or he wish I was unsaved. That's not what he's talking about right here. Uh, so let's look at this in context. Uh, Jesse, can you throw the map up on the projector? So that's what's called a map. It's, uh, it's, it's like a GPS, but like flat and on paper most of the time. Um, we don't see a lot. Oh, that, that one worked. All right. So, all right. So, all right. So, we see right here, we see uh, the city of La- Laodicea. Uh, six miles north, there's a city of Heropolis. And then 10 miles east, there's the city of Colossae. Uh, like I talked about at the beginning, that the city had a very poor water source, uh, poor water supply. So, they had to rely on these two cities right here. What they did is they built almost a piping system. Um, Heropolis had hot springs. They, they, were, they were not famous for hot springs, but they were blessed with the supply of hot springs. And what they did is they piped that, the water from the hot springs down into uh, Laodicea. Uh, a, a little important fact about that is the water that, were in, that was in those hot springs was filled with what was called calcium carbonate and basically gave the water a very medicine-like quality. So while that was um, effective for spas and stuff like that, as far as drinking, it was very bad tasting. So... By the time it had got to Laodicea, the hot spring, the water had cooled off. Well, in Colossae, they were blessed with cool springs. And again, the same thing, piped it in 10 miles. Uh, and by the time it got, it got to Laodicea, the water had lost its coolness and became, became lukewarm. So by saying, Jesus saying, I wish you were either hot or cold, he's saying that I wish you were effective. You know, the, the, the language that he used was very, he, he, he was very intentional with the way he connected with each one of these churches. And the, the, these, the city of uh, Laodicea, could connect with that hot or cold, uh, a hot or cold analogy, because of their situation. So Jesus is saying, "I wish that you're either hot, like the wa- like the water of Heropolis, or cold, like the water in Colossae." And so I think that's that. Whenever I, whenever I was studying, I read that it made so much sense that Jesus is saying, "I wish you were being an, an effective Christian. You were being lukewarm. You're not being effective. And I wish you were one or the other." So let's look at within this evaluation. There's a warning that Jesus gives. Look look at verse 16. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So he's saying he's comparing their, their Christianity to their water supply. And that he's saying you are being you are you are being useless, like as far as your works. You are you are being self serving. You are living a life of comfort. Uh, and you're not advan- you are not advancing the kingdom with a life of service and sacrifice. He's saying you live you're living for yourself. And so what that does is, is Jesus saying that, that, makes, that makes him nauseated. And he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Another, other translations say, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I think that's important because he, he did not say, I have spit you out of my mouth. 
And so we see Jesus' grace and a warning coming in saying, look, you're not there yet. Your actions, the way you're living, it's nauseating, but there's time, there's time to repent. And so it's a very, very important point um, as we look at his words. So, So that's verse 16. Let's look at verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, although them being lukewarm, uh, are, although them being lukewarm Christians was a big problem, he's saying that their deeper problem is their ignorance of that fact. Uh, looking at that saying, that saying, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Uh, a few of the commentaries that I was, commentaries that I was reading say that this was probably a, a saying that was very prominent in the city, that a lot of the wealthy, um, a lot of the wealthy people in the city ha- had basically said. Um, and the church had adopted that saying. Uh, and so what we see right there is an example of society having a big influence on the church as opposed to the opposite, as opposed to the church leading society. And so one of the ways that we, we see this in, in, in Laodicea uh, is through that earthquake uh, the earthquake that I, I referred to at the beginning, um, again, the, the city took a lot of pride in their independence, being able to rebuild that city uh, on their own, to be able to help their neighbor out, which I think we all agree helping the neighbor out is good, but they took pride in the fact that they were so independent that they could do that. And what the church did is the, the church saw these actions, and they approved of these actions, which, again, is not, a, not, not necessarily a bad thing. But the deeper problem was that, and uh, this is a good quote that one of the com- commentaries said, was that, so because of the spirit of their culture, the church had a hard time distinguishing the, the difference between spiritual and material wealth. Initially, whenever I read that, I thought they were bragging about their riches, but the church was actually bragging about their, they, they thought they were rich spiritually. That, 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 the word, whenever he says rich, he's, they're talking about they are spiritually rich. And so, that shows their true ignorance because whenever we talk about true, like true Christianity, uh, I think we will all agree that whenever you, whenever you, you realize that you need Jesus in your life, that you realize your constant need for him. And so, so to say that we are rich and we need nothing spiritually, that's a big problem. That shows that, 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 shows that the blinders were on them, which we're going to be talking about the, being blind in a little bit. Um, but as believers, we know that everything that that we rely on comes from the Lord, whether it be protection, security, love, comfort, uh, encouragement, you name it. We rely on Jesus for those things. And so they, they had mistaken their, their wealth for spiritual wealth. So the second part of verse 17, he's shattering that illusion. He is using sharp, sharp words, and he does it in only five adjectives. He shatters that illusion to thinking they're on top of the world, they've got it all figured out, and he basically shatters it by saying, where are we? All right. Um, we say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So in five, in, in five adjectives, he completely shatters that illusion. Uh, the word wretched there, uh, wretched means uh, one's life in which everything has been destroyed. So I'm saying you're thinking you're rich, but you're wretched. You, you are spiritually bankrupt. You, you have nothing. Um, pitiable, uh, that basically means to be pitied. That word pitiable that the, in Greek is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians to, to those that don't believe in the resurrection. So this is strong language that he's saying. He's saying, look, you are spiritually bankrupt, and you should be pitied. And he goes on with, with the three kind of external uh, descriptions of them. 
He's saying poor, blind, and naked. So he said instead of being rich, you are spiritually poor because you're blinded by your material wealth and you're naked, that you are, un- uh, you are unable to cover your shame before God. And so, again, like I said, shatter their illusion as to what they thought they were. I mean, they went from a spot to say, of saying we are rich and prospered and we need nothing spiritually to Jesus saying you have, you have nothing, you are spiritually bankrupt and you are poor, blind, and naked spiritually. Very, very sharp words. So, let, so we'll move from, from the, his evaluation. Again, not, not a real positive evaluation from a church standpoint. Um, but Jesus doesn't stop there. So let's go move to the next part of the, uh, the kind of layout of, of these churches, uh, of the letters to these churches on the exhortation. So Jesus' solution to these problems. Let's uh, start in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe, your, clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may, not see, so that you may see. So right here, we, instead of Jesus you know, following up a sharp rebuke with another sharp command and his, um, his just infinite grace, he, he, he lays out an invitation from him. He doesn't give him a sharp command. He said, look, I invite you. And what he does is, again, getting on their level to where, uh, again, he's very specific within these churches to what they're going through. Again, they, Laodicea was a huge center of trade, and so he used words that they could identify that were in the marketplace that they could relate to. And so to those that, uh, to those that say they need nothing, he's saying, look, I offer you this invitation. He's saying, I offer you gold. Uh, that, the, the word gold right there, a, a lot, that, that's, that's another meaning for faith. And so what he's saying is that I actually, I want to offer you a a faith in which all impurities are burned away, that it is pure, that it is holy. And so that your faith is refined and your love for Christ is is pure. So he's saying while your city is wealthy, only true, true wealth, true spiritual wealth can come through me through, um, through a refined faith. So purchase gold, white garments, he uses it right there. So, uh, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Uh, again, this is, this, is, this, this is something that had a direct connection with them because going back to their, the clothing industry, uh, massive clothing industry, enough clothes to clothe the world. And he's saying, while you have so many, I'm here to offer you true, not just any clothes, but white garments. Uh, again, going back to that black wool that was what the majority of people wore there, the majority of the wealthy. And so he's saying that although you, you're clothing yourself as black, well, you're spiritually naked. And only I can, only I can cover the nakedness and the shame of sin. Uh, so, again, he's, he's using these, these words and these analogies to connect directly with them. And then the last, uh, the last scripture, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Again, going back to that famous school of medicine that they had prided themselves on this, this ointment that was curing a lot of eye defects. But he's saying the, the defect that you have, no, no ointment that can be made by man can cure. Uh, only, the ointment from that, for only the ointment from me, from Jesus, can truly help you see. And so what that does is he, he wants them to see so they can, they can put that mirror in front of them and so that they can see their true brokenness and their true wretched state of being spiritually bankrupt. And so... Again, that's, that's, I'm, I'm going to move on, but I, I think if we stop right there, the fact that he, he's, he is offering this invitation to say, look, 
This is where you're going for your hope. This is where you're going for your security. And, but I want you to buy these things from me. It's pretty beautiful. So look at verse 19. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Uh, the word love right there, that's the, the word that's used in Greek is, is the philio. And so that's that affectionate love. Uh, that, that's not any less of a, uh, a less of a form of love than agape. But what Jesus is communicating, that, that relational love that he's got for these people, this affectionate and passionate love that he's got for them. And he's saying, look, like a loving father that doesn't allow their kid to continue to do destructive things, I'm going to use sharp words with you because I love you, and, I, and that's why I discipline you. I think, I, think, I think we can all identify with that, 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 that father coming down on a, on a child because he loves him so much and using hard, hard words. Because, I, I, I mean, I'd imagine if, if there weren't sharp words used, like a, like a father that might discipline their, their child using very soft words and kind of let them, let them off the hook very easily, change doesn't happen. But Jesus knows they, they needed these sharp words along with a, with a grace-filled invitation. So, so, all right, so that's love. So he says, be zealous and repent. Uh, because I'm not the, the greatest with my vocabulary, I looked up what zealous meant. And uh, it means uh, enthusiastic and eager, or be passionate. That's, a, that's an important part of Christianity and having a relationship with Jesus is, is, is to be zealous, to be eager and excited. And, and he's saying that be zealous and your passion will, will generate your spiritual integrity. And so this, this command that, that Jesus gives, it's, it's kind of an ongoing command. And, I, and I'll talk about the repent in just a second, but he, he's saying renew that zeal. Content, be, be zealous continuously. It's not a one-time command. It's, it's a daily thing because we live in a, world, in a broken world where, where times can get tough and um, sin has broken us individually. So he's saying, renew that zeal, renew that zeal, and repent. And we talk about repentance a lot. That's that 180-degree turn. This is a one-time, a once-and-for-all call that Jesus is saying. He's saying, repent and turn away. Turn away from your independence. Turn away from your, your self-seeking, self, a life full of pleasure and comfort. He's saying, turn down that road. I'm not telling you to be perfect. He's saying, but turn, down that, turn away from that life of independence and saying, spiritually, we're rich and we need nothing, Jesus. That, that, just, that goes against everything Christianity is. So that's, that's Jesus' solution. That's his exhortation. And so let's look at his promise. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So Jesus is saying, like, look, the church of Laodicea, you have spiritually locked me out of your lives. And I'm pursuing you. I am knocking at the door. And uh, one of the commentaries was saying that the the language that he uses right there, he's not talking about someone, maybe like a foreigner that's in desperate need of something or somebody homeless. He is saying that it's like somebody's on the inside of the house that's that's asleep. And a person on the other side of the door is knocking. So Jesus is knocking, trying to wake that person up. And whenever I read that, it's connected because how awesome and beautiful is it that we have a, a savior, especially look at the church of Laodicea, where they were doing nothing right. They were so far in the truth saying, Jesus, we don't need you. We, we got this thing figured out. But Jesus is saying, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm trying to wake you up, a, a savior that's pursuing them. Very, 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 very neat. I said very like three times. But. Um, so in this verse, we see two things going on. We see 
uh, we see the beauty of divine action, that the Lord is pursuing them. But we also see, see where it says, let me see verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So we see this divine action, but we also see a human response necessary. And that's, that, I think that, that that verse is beautiful and that we have a Savior that pursues us, pursues us. But there also is that human response. And there's, there's mystery within that, there's no doubt. But the, but the, fa- the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that it's, it's a beautiful thing that we do have a Savior that pursues us. Our job is to listen and, and to answer him. So uh, let's move on to, to the next part of that, of verse 20. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus desires to fellowship with us. That's where the emphasis of the verses is, is, is laid, is that the, the meal that he's talking about, he's saying it's kind of the main meal of the day that some of the commentaries uh, that I read, is that end of the meal day. So it would be like our supper with our family. And what they're saying is that this is the type of meal where conversation of wholesome topics, uh, wholesome topics um, happens, where a lot of laughter happens, and counsel is given for problem solving. And so the emphasis of this verse is saying, knock, wake up, answer the door. I desire to be with you. You've been doing all these things so, so far off. They are, the church of Laodicea was so far off, but yet Jesus is knocking on the door saying, I want to eat with you. I want to be with you. I, don't, I want a relationship with you. So neat. Um, so that's where the emphasis of the verse is, is that communion with, communion with Christ is the emphasis and that Jesus desires that. And look at the last part of, of, uh, of verses 21 and 22 where he continues that promise. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, those verses kind of are what, they, what it says is that because of Jesus' work on the cross and he now sends, sits at the right hand of, of God, he now extends that same invitation to us. The fact that he conquered and now he invites us to be conquerors with him. Very, very, very cool. So, what now? I kind of went through that quicker than I thought I was. Um, so what now? This is, this is kind of, you know, usually when I get up here, I like to try to have like a next step, like a couple next steps, but I had a hard time doing that with this. But wh- th- instead of next steps, these are kind of two main points that I think w- uh, that Jesus has for our church. Um, the first point that I'm going to hit is I want us to be encouraged. I think... Uh, the Ring Community Church right now is not the church in Laodicea, not at all. That I, th- I think if Jesus were to write us a letter and he said and he would start off with "I know your works," I think there would be a list of works that he's saying, "Guys, y'all are, y'all are doing this right." I do not, and this this is what I don't feel. I do not feel that that we are a church that does useless works. I don't believe that we are a church that are self-serving and only fo- focused on our personal success. I think we talk about that a lot and fight against that. Uh, uh, fight against that our flesh nature that that we do have that within us a lot of times that desire for everything to be about ourselves and a life of comfort but we we are active and we want to fight that here i don't believe that we're a church that says we need nothing i don't believe that at all i I think we know our i think a lot of times we know our weaknesses and and while we're not perfect while our actions don't back it up a lot of times we know that every bit of our reliance is on jesus and so guys i i want us to be to be encouraged when reading this, as we are now, like where the Lorraine Community Church is now, I want us to be encouraged that uh, something that, uh, I'm sure, I don't know if y'all have heard of it before, what's called the 80-20 rule. And basically what that is, is any church or volunteer, or volunteer organization, there's something called the 80-20 rule. 
80-20 rule where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And we fight that here. We, we do not want that to be us. We want to be a 100%, 100% church like the other church in Acts. And so while we still fight that, I think there are a lot of faithful, faithful people here. So guys, I, I, I do want us to be encouraged. I, I do, I, I, the, the Ring Community Church is a place that we don't want to settle. Um, I think that we, ex- we expect a lot out of our members here. And whenever, whenever I say me, I mean every one of us. Every member here expects a lot out of each other. And I don't think we apologize for that because we don't want to be a complacent, comfortable church. I, I really don't. And I'm encouraging us right now. We're about to get to another side of it because we're not perfect. We're far from perfect, so don't hear me say that. But where we are now, we are not the church in Laodicea. And so, guys, I, I do want you to be, be encouraged because at, here we're serious about um, living a life of service and sacrifice, preaching and teaching the word, sharpening each other, enjoying each other, fellowship with, with each other. I think we're very serious about that stuff, so that's awesome. So be encouraged. The next thing is I want us to be, a challenge, to, is to be challenged to evaluate our personal lives and to, and to receive this warning that Jesus uh, gives the church of Laodicea. I don't think any of these churches, whenever they started out, uh, started out in this state. I think uh, gradually over time they got there. And so while this isn't, isn't us now, I think we need to look at these war- this warning, look at the way they were living, and I think we need to have our guard up and say that's not what we want to become. You know, and I and I'd be naive to say, you know, kind of start with our, with, with the encouragement. I'd, I'd be naive to say I don't think any of us personally struggle with being lukewarm, or living a life of comfort and complacency where we're not sacrificing, um, all for the glory of God. I don't want this to be a a message of let's get out there and just do more good works. We desire to have transformation, and in our works because of that, and our works overflow because of that transformation. Um, so. Uh, Mm, I'm kind of going a little random. All right, so looking at the church in Laodicea situation, I think it, we can draw an easy parallel to kind of where we live in today. And I'm, this isn't a United States bashing part right here. But I think you look at the church in Laodicea, not much persecution, a very wealthy city. And so I think you look around at, at where we live now, it's a very similar thing. It, it's, we're, we're a wealthy nation, wealthy compared to all the others. And we have very little persecution here in the United States. So I think, um, I think we want to make sure we don't settle and that we don't coast. And we don't mistake our, our material blessings for spiritual blessings, that we're constantly pressing into the Lord, constantly having us change us and refine us. So um, I know I'm getting a little random with this, but I, I think as a church, even though we're not there, we do need to be warned and we do need to see what that looked like X year down the road, X years down the road, because I would, I, there's nothing more I would love for generations and generations of the Ring Community Church to continue. I, I desire for us never to get to that point, never to get to that point to where we say, we need nothing, we are good, we don't even need Jesus. That's crazy. Um, so let's go, let's go a little bit more individual. Um, from an individual point, so what if you are, what if, what if you start hearing some of those words and you said, all right, that, that might be kind of me. I, I feel like I have been in a lukewarm spot. I think I have been in a, in a complacent Christianity. Uh, I think we need to look at Jesus' words where he says, repent and be zealous. Uh, I think that, uh, I hope I'm being responsible with this, but um, going back to the church of Ephesus uh, where Josh preached and he talked about remember the heights from which you've fallen. And Josh talked about remembering that first love that you had with Jesus, that, that kind of newlywed love that you had whenever you, whenever you became a believer. I think that's a very similar thing in, in that, that renew that excitement. 
Renew that excitement daily. Remember, remember those disciplines that you did whenever you became a believer or whenever you first learned about Jesus. Remember those things. You know, I don't know if it's putting a postcard or on your dash or first thing when you wake up having a quiet time. Again, uh, I think Josh mentioned this on the Church of Ephesus, but Eugene Peterson's quote that we use here a lot is that it's easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting. And so go, be zealous. Get passionate again. Remember those things that you did early on whenever that passion was there and repent. Because I, I, think, a, I, I think whenever we, we, we see this letter and we see Jesus' response to their disobedience in a life full of independence, he, he, he pursued them. He gave them a beautiful invitation to buy what they thought was valuable that wasn't. He, he gave them an invitation to buy salvation and things that truly spiritually matter from him. And so what we need to do, we need to see our Savior that pursues us. He knocks on the door saying, wake up. He's pursuing us. Wake up. I think that's, if you're struggling with that individually, realize the beauty behind that. Realize the beauty that we have a creator of the universe that doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He's, he's completely, um, what's the, uh, the word I'm looking for? Anyway, sufficient on his own. But he desires us. He desires to be with us. Um, so repent now and renew the zeal daily. We have a, a loving father that knocks and pursues us. And sometimes he uses those sharp words because of his love for us. And he knows that the alternative is devastating. So I don't know how that lands with you. Uh, I'm done. And so what I'm going to do is ask the band to come back up. Um, I'm going to close this out. But wherever this hits, uh, you know, I know we talk about, the, we, we, don't do, we don't do an altar call, but we do want to give you time to process. And if you've got questions, if you've got whatever, there are tons of people around here that would love to answer them. But use this time to, to do a self-evaluation to thank, and, and to thank the Lord that he constantly, constantly pursues us. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Jesus, we love you. We, uh, we thank you that, you've, that you pursue us, Lord, that you, are, that you know how to connect with us individually um, and corporately on a very personal level, Lord, that we see these letters like the church of Laodicea, and you were very involved and active within our life, Lord. Even though they shunned you out, Lord, you pursued them, Lord. I pray that just corporally as a, as a church, Lord, that we would never get to that spot, Lord, where we think that we got this thing figured out and we don't need you, Lord. Lord, I, I pray individually that if there are those, that, there are those of us that are, are struggling with some of that lukewarmness or that, that complacency, the kind of we've got everything figured out, Lord, I, I pray that we would answer that knocking and that we would wake up, Lord, and that we would see that we need you desperately. Father, we thank you we thank you for your invitation that you give us and for your love that you just lavish upon us, Lord. Lord, we pray things in your name. Amen.